They say, when you are living in accordance to your soul purpose, it should feel very uncomfortable, and walking it can make you squirm, because your soul has never walked that path before. The Uncharted is supposed to evolve us, but the things that enable growth back to our core essence are so damn uncomfortable, and at times they can make you squirm. So squirm, be uncomfortable, let go, but most of all, allow, and eventually you will arrive at liberation. I've been very much focused on this episode and I'm really excited to share it. It's been in progress, in production, in editing at this apartment, apartment of a girl that produces and edits by herself. Yeah, what I'm trying to say, one man band here. So I have been so focused. This is an interview with one of my beloved people and if you've come back to this podcast, you are into this kind of stuff. So we're discussing a lot of juicy stuff, a lot of juice, maybe too much juice for some people. Ooh, might be a little too juicy, you know? So uh, proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. I would suggest reading the description. And if it's not your vibe, I would probably turn this off. So now, get ready for the juicy, juicy, scoopy scoop. All right, folks, welcome my fellow non-LDS member, Rachel Zimmerman. Hi, I'm Rachel. <laughs> Can I do that again? <laughs> Give us a little breakdown of why the heck I would invite you to be here. Just kidding. I am a truth seeker. I was a lifetime member of the church, served a year and a half mission. I was married in the temple. I worked in the temple as a temple worker as well. And I held some positions in the church. Yeah, I was very, very immersed in the culture, the doctrine, all the above. I was still in that when we met. We've come full circle and I'm no longer apart. And on this journey for about five years. <laughs> we are just discussing religion, cult-like behavior and mentality, breaking away from a limited reality. Absolutely. Especially in Utah, if you're a member of the Latter-day Saint Mormon Church, you really don't have a ton of exposure to anything else. Like it, Not only is it your church to your religion it's your community it's your social life everything it's your family you really aren't super cultured when you're brought up that way you don't have a ton of exposure so yeah it's culty in that aspect for sure before we dive into this heavy conversation together we're going to play a game to break the shell and kind of surface some of these deep-rooted feelings that I'm sure so many people can relate to. I guess it's kind of evil if I say it's a game. Sure. Words that I have chosen are powerful and of course they relate to being a Mormon. The rules, no logic, no thinking, just spitting out what first comes to your mind when I say these uh -oh, words. I'm going to be triggered. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. So first word is baptism. Commitment, um, binding agreement is what that makes me think of. Like 
some feelings of guilt for me. I think that comes from serving it on a mission and trying so hard to convince people to be baptized and not even considering who they are as a person, but just wanting to get that number and that commitment from them. That's deep. Being sealed in the temple. Been there, done that, I guess, is what that it makes me think of. Um, scary. Ooh, scary. We'll get into this later. Okay, garments. Uncomfortable. Fasting. Exceedingly uncomfortable. <laughs> Prayer. Communication with myself, with God. It brings up every emotion, really. I mean, like, prayer makes me think of just, I don't know. Yeah, weird, huh? Yeah. Now, for me, prayer is like meditation. Premarital sex. Frowned upon. Um, guilty. Dirty. I agree with that. Bishop. Cringy. Ah, cringy. Yeah, cringy. the bishop kind of fearful of him and just cringy in that, yeah, just makes me feel uncomfortable, the word bishop. What about covenants? Binding, heaviness, fear. Fear. Oh, yikes. I feel that too. Mm, I feel that too. Okay, that's it. Wow, those yeah. are good words. <laughs> it's like I've got so many canonized feelings associated with all of those. That was really intense. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Okay, listeners, for podcast purposes and for ease with words, I understand that the LDS Church now has a preference of what they are called for this podcast. We will be addressing the church as a whole by Mormon. And I just want to say that there is great intention and purpose behind this conversation. This is no way, shape, or form meant to be a derogatory conversation or a bashing of the church at all. This is just the chance to finally have freedom of speech and expression from things we were feared from saying when we were in the church and in hopes to help somebody that may be lost and stuck in a position like we were. Cool. You grew up Mormon. You grew up in the church. Yep, I did. Mm -hmm. And your family... Very LDS, right? Very. My dad held a lot of prominent positions in the church. He was a bishop. He was a stake president. All the nine yards. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine. Yep. Can't imagine. And then your mom, is she with your dad still? They're still married, right? They are, yep. Okay, so then they do the whole church thing together. Yes, they do. And very traditionally, dad's the patriarch. Mom is the matriarch and just pretty much goes along with what dad says. That's pretty much been my entire upbringing. Wow. See, I can't relate in the way of having a family structure and being Mormon. Mine was like broken, fractured, totally frowned upon upbringing in the church. Back where divorce was totally not a thing. Yeah, you know, and I can say this as somebody who was active until five years ago, it was ingrained in me that a family situation, like a divorced family, that there must have been something really wrong in that family and that like, oh, we're to feel really sorry for them. That type of response doesn't allow to really get to know people. You just assume that person is broken because their family was broken. When in reality, there's a good chance that divorce sometimes was the best thing, but we don't allow to consider all the circumstances. It's just interesting being the one that grew up fractured and then you kind of embody this judgment that you feel that other people project. You feel that, especially being sensitive, but I embodied being broken looking back aside from feeling victimized from those feelings it's just so interesting where we ever picked up that mentality on a divorced family like I think it starts with the fact that they're very 
focused on families are forever, and but you can only be with your family forever if you're sealed in the temple. That's the caveat there. And a broken family is like, oh, they don't get to be together forever. That's kind of the first assumption. Like, even an active member who's still active would acknowledge that can see beyond that, that that can't be the case, even if you are still believing. But yeah, you automatically are like, oh, they can't be together forever, which is kind of where they start to indoctrinate you as a small child is they, at every phase in your life, they tend to have something that addresses your greatest desire at that time like as a child you love your family more than anything so how do they keep you interested and wanting to stay in the church as they tell you well you can be with your family forever if you live this way if you keep these commandments or if you're baptized you can be with your family forever that's where the fear and indoctrination starts at a very young age fear-based and guilt-driven power move to keep people involved in this organization from the outside it's just interesting because I don't have major don't have major feelings that come up anymore I can look at it like an interesting way of doing it to get people to stay really thought out oh extremely yeah you have the lens now you can look more objectively at it now like the longer you're away from it I think the more you can analyze with that perspective you can see more I don't think you understand that at that depth until you are able to take a step back for a while and see how early the immersion and manipulation starts. Yeah, it's been probably within the last five years that I've been able to really observe it. Mm -hmm. That was a very, very smart way to convince a mass of people to never leave and then to continue procreating and pushing that on their children. And that's why this organization is so massive, and that's why all these people are so afraid to even think about leaving because it's so ingrained. You said something that I thought was interesting. You referred to the church as, like, massive, which honestly is another deception from the church is because realistically if you look at the numbers of the members of the church and compare it to the population of the world and maybe just the United States it is incredibly small the church is small despite what they want you to think or especially living in Utah the message they're saying they're a worldwide church okay but let's look at the numbers here people unless we forget they are counting eight-year-old children as new members of the church those count every six months when they do general conference and they give their numbers of the membership of the church they include the eight-year-olds that are baptized they claim to be this massive church when really they're not. Wow, just listening to you explain that, it triggered an epiphany of the significance to number eight and why we are baptized at eight. And I know this is off topic, and the significance to the number eight is the ability to make decisions, and it stands for infinity. If you look at how it is drawn, it looks like an infinity symbol. It is a holy number, and it is a powerful number. For me, the age of eight is where you appear or seemingly are old enough to have a grasp on what is right and wrong like it's when you start to develop I think a a moral code and compass um, is around that age 
But at the same time, you're still so impressionable, still not old enough, I don't think, to really make a decision like being baptized. I don't think at eight years old, you understand the gravity of something like that. You're making a covenant, which in the church or in anywhere is a binding contract and is in essence assigning you a membership and that you're going to commit to the church for the rest of your life. You are supposed to know how to make that decision when you're eight years old. You're going to go off. I'll tell you what you're thinking when you're eight. You want to do what's going to make your parents happy. And growing up very active in Utah, being baptized is going to make mom and dad really happy. Or your friends. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. You mentioned something that I thought was interesting talking about like the spiritual realm and the significance of numbers. I, I don't know a ton about the Masons, but I do know that Joseph Smith was a Mason and he was a very high level Mason. And that requires you to memorize a lot of um, rituals and passages and things like that. And they are very, very symbol-oriented organization. But they are not a religious organization. To be a Mason, you, you have a belief in a higher power, but it is not like ultimately declared as part of that. It is in no way a religious organization. I, I just need to emphasize that. But they are very ritualized and they are an organization that is there to better society. Anyway, he Joseph Smith was a Mason. So as far as symbols go, being a high-level Mason, he's going to have a lot of insight into what those symbols might mean. Wow. I forget about the Masons. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to dive too much into numerology and bore people, but there is such a significance to the number eight yep. that is not explained in the church. When I say explained, I mean explained in a way that makes sense. Right. And this is another thing that I think is important to talk about is the way that the church personifies Joseph Smith is in essence next to God. Like he is very much put in this light that he did so much for mankind. This is in the Mormon canon of scripture. And it says from one of the prophets that Joseph Smith did more for mankind, save Jesus Christ only. So that's a big statement. Sets up a a precedence for people to view him as basically almost godlike. And there's not been a lot of room. The church has not really opened its doors or books or history enough for us how truly of a man and imperfect Joseph Smith was. So I think oftentimes they present things like either Joseph Smith was the prophet who restored God's church and it's true, or he's a charlatan and he's evil and he's done like the worst possible thing he could, when in reality, I don't think it's as cut and dry as that. I think he was a man who wanted to experiment where religion revival was really popular at that time and he wanted to come up with that. I don't necessarily think that he was this evil human being. Like, I really don't, but I do think he was misguided and a little bit arrogant, among other things. I'm trying to, like, put this delicately. But I think that the problem is, is we we tend to get so heartbroken 
when we find out as members of the church, oh, wait, he has a dark past. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean he was arrested for fraud? Or what do you mean he had multiple wives and potentially extramarital affairs? And what what are you talking about? Because they don't talk about that openly. It's just, it's interesting to me. That is a big theme in the church. Maybe this is like deep, but they don't allow for people to be human. They don't allow for their leaders or people in the history of the church to be human. And that is directly on the members themselves, where anything that seems like against the church or a sin, quote, I'm doing in quotations, sin here, you are just so full of shame and guilt, like you can never measure up because they don't allow for that. They really don't. It's almost as if whoever started, (laughs) this is totally like off scale here, what I'm going to say. Whoever started, which I believe it could be a big part, Joseph Smith, but I'm not, I'm going to say that. (laughs) Say it, say it. Oh God, I don't want to get freaking totally persecuted. (laughs) He sounds like a Pollyanna narcissist, which the Pollyanna kind is they live in this fairy tale world that they actually create in their mind, which I believe that he did. They create it. It's so real to them. They see it. They live it in their mind. And then they teach it to other people, which then breeds more of these narcissists who now see this reality propaganda with the pictures and imagery and all the emotional plays that they use on you when you're young. You do create this reality that you can physically see. This is a fairy world created that is not actually real. No one can live up to that. Right. And the culture, again, like it it breeds these narcissists because they aren't exposed to things that a lot of people are outside of the church in Utah because you're taught at the very beginning that this is the only true church and that you are the superior people and that everybody needs to have this. Like if you're growing up that way, being taught that, there are going to be people who are fragile mentally at a young age who are going to turn in, not you, but like (laughs) these these people, speaking to narcissists, that's what's going to feed that belief. Like if they're fragile like that and they're susceptible to that mental illness, we'll call it. I don't know if you want to call it that, but I think it breeds narcissists because it appeals to people with that uh, proclivity because they're ultimately, it's like you're better than you know right. It takes a lot of courage to leave an organization, a community, a lifestyle past the age of 30, which you specifically have done. You have done this. I just need a moment to tell you how amazing you are for being so courageous and brave, seeking the truth for yourself, pulling up your bootstraps and taking on the knowing of possibly being ousted by everything you've known. Yes, That was my experience, exactly. I never really doubted what I believed in. It was always just a part of who I was. It was who I was, let's be honest here. I let the church really define my worth as a human being and as a woman, and I only felt like I was valuable or smart or desirable if I was keeping all of God's commandments. You know, I had my first kind of big hesitancy. I've had other moments, but my biggest One is I experienced a very, uh, I won't go into detail, but a very traumatic, traumatic life (laughs) altering experience a few years ago, gosh, probably over 10 years now. But I did everything that I was taught would help things be better and get better for me. And I did all of the things I prayed. I prayed that I would at least feel a feeling of comfort very humbly. And I dare say, 
that is the lowest of the low and I felt nothing. And that was my first kind of awakening that I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't work the way that I've been taught. So I started to kind of think outside of that box and I approached God in a very different way and things started to change for me. And then that just opened the floodgates of okay, well, what else? Because that's the foundation right there wow. is this, this church is my connection to God. And the only way I, you know, so when that was called into question, which for me it was, I started to doubt everything else. <laughs> wow. That was really lucky, honestly, that that cracked you open. Yep. I think for some people, it's the culture, like the culture gets to people who are different. That's a hard reality. Like my sister, for example, she moved away to Iowa, but she's very different in like the way her appearance is and everything. And she doesn't feel accepted or valued because of how she looks. But I think that's very real because she doesn't fit like this cookie cutter mold that, I mean, that's very surfacey, but because of that, she doesn't, she doesn't live in Utah. She wants nothing to do with it. And she doesn't go to church because she feels that heaviness of judgment. That's so sad. None of this is true. That's the thing about it is being so outside of it and finally breaking down all, even even though I wasn't as ingrained and deep as you, the manipulative darkness that's placed on a person through the church is so valid and real. It doesn't matter even really how long you're in, you're in and you open yourself up to believe it. It's in you. Yep. And me breaking that down and getting those walls down, it has been so hard. It really does affect your psyche. Oh yeah. And the way you view yourself, because I felt the same way. So you were the bad influence, or you were yeah. this person. You weren't the, oh, the girl who plays the piano and gives her testimony every Sunday and goes to BYU. Like, which is what you, you know, it's this weird cultural phenomenon. Like, I it's dare weird. say, having served a mission, and I've lived in other states, that is very unique to Utah, that aspect of Mormonism. I would say, like, somebody might come back and say, no, it's everywhere, at least in the Western states where the Latter-day Saints are more popular. Right. So I want to get back to the trauma, that like rock bottom, that time you went through pretty much hell. Did you find that feeling, the connection that you were looking for with Source? And to add to that, what is your connection with Source outside of the church? And how does that differ from kind of the way that you were taught to feel within within the church, that connection with God? That's a good question. And That's hard to say because I do feel like I did have happy moments I felt like were spiritual while I was a member of the church. However, looking at it, so I believe in a greater truth in that there is an ultimate good and that is to love each other. I think the ultimate purpose of us all is to really help each other live our best lives like it's kind of like a nuanced way of saying it but I would say the most real spiritual feelings I've had have been outside the church because I was able to feel them as my authentic self I wasn't feeling them as a prescription if that makes sense I wasn't seeking it out necessarily I had some really strong spiritual experiences outside of the church and things that I felt like were coming from a higher power or whatever it may be, when I was doing something that really made me happy. That's when I felt it. It had nothing to do with the faith or the church or God, to be honest. (laughs) Right. No, that makes sense. I understand. I hope that answers your question. It does because I 
it's so weird because when I even ask myself that question, I feel icky mm. to even tap into trying to remember. If I ever felt that in the church, it makes me instantly feel really gross. Yeah. This really gross feeling, and I don't know why, but it's something that just immediately answers my question, is that it was all manipulative and limiting yeah. on what you could experience. When you put all these judgments and limitations and guilt around the way you should be and feel, you'll never be able to reach you know, your full capacity of love and light in that box that you have to put yourself in, in a church, any kind of church. I 100% agree with you. 100% because the church is the opposite of authenticity. It is the opposite of truly getting to know who you are because it wants to change you to be something you're not. Yeah. Truly, for me anyway, and there might be people in the church who feel very differently that this is their purpose, whatever, if you find fulfillment, good for you. But I ultimately feel like there's so much more. Yeah, It is very limiting, like you said. True spirituality and joy comes when you are allowed to explore yourself and your interests and your desires and maybe your fears. And when you do muddy the water, that's when you can have an ethical code, you can have morals, and you can find your spirituality, what you believe in. And that has to come independent, for me at least, independent of something that you've been taught since you were a baby. I 100% agree with you. Even when you have a good upbringing and maybe your foundation was good, you had a great family, it's not necessarily something that your authentic self chose you were just placed in a good situation and so in order to grow and have that depth of yourself in life to experience that relationship with source to have that depth you have to do the uncomfortable you have to question things i can't speak for everybody but i would get so afraid of people who presented information about the church history or about the doctrine that was questionable and potentially not true i would get so nope not gonna hear it nope that's not true you're just misguided it's just kind of ridiculous mm -hmm. it is so <sighs> I can't even come up the words how like frustrated this makes me feel Frustrated. I just had a thought, like an observation come to me. And I think why this affects you specifically so much is you are a very spiritually in tune person. You're very self-aware. You're aware of emotions, energy. And I think it frustrates you so much because the church, the LDS church, Mormon church, preys on that, their energy. And I think that's for probably your soul ultimately is to see that people aren't free to really tap into their higher selves. And I can see why that frustrates you so much and is so like, you just want to shake people because everything is faith and emotion based but especially talking specifically to people growing up in the churches, you are taught to feel a certain way, so specifically. So you can't even feel for yourself. They really don't allow you to explore that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be so frustrated. Nailed it on the head. Okay, before I let you off the hook, what has been one of your biggest trials post leaving the church? Having been so faithful in the church, you know, I was led to believe, okay, families are forever. We live after this life. Even your animals, you can be with your animals forever. Okay, that's great. That's a nice, warm feeling. But I do think that can be detrimental because it doesn't really prepare you to experience grief. I have problems with that now because I have my dog and he's my whole world. He's my little soulmate. Knowing what I know now, the thought of losing him is absolutely terrifying because I no longer can trust or know that, okay, I'll get to see my dog again, because I don't know if that's true, but I'm not prepared to deal with that grief because of how I was raised. I was raised like, you're going to be sad, but you'll see them again. Whereas now it's like, mm, there's a good chance that that's not the 
the case. I don't know how to properly greet. I have no foundation how to deal with something that hard. Very, very difficult for me. How I was raised, I have no idea how to process that kind of grief. That makes me sad, yeah, that makes me That's sad. That's one of those residual effects. I mean, I have goosebumps all over my body. That is reaching a lot of people. Yeah. I have goosebumps on my face. <laughs> that doesn't happen unless that's some serious shit. I used to feel that way too when I left the church. For me, and from what I've observed, is it's one of the first awakenings that people have leaving the church. Yep. It's an awakening of, I have no tools in my toolbox that are personal to me, authentic on how I'm going to navigate grief and emotion. It is one of the most beautiful stages of meeting the true authentic higher self that is when you get to find your inner light that's when the inner journey really starts and it's beautiful it's frightening because the ego makes it frightening but this is where you get to seek out that inner light that's personal to you does it make you feel like that you want to dive deeper into what is true or does it just kind of shut you down no it does it makes me want to learn how to come to grips with life. I think the important thing about this life is that we only have got one and we need to make the most of it. And that basic insight has allowed me to, you know, focus on the moments I do have with my loved ones, I guess, and not be so focused on, okay, well, we have all of the next life. It has really allowed me to come to terms with what is true in that I do believe in energy. I believe that like you can't create the stuff we're made of, like our soul. You can't destroy our souls. Yeah. So, and I think animals have souls. And these are things that I do feel are true. Yeah. So ultimately it's like somehow the energy will still be there, but it just isn't, it won't be the same way that I was taught. And that's what I'm coming to terms with. It's like, okay, there is something to this as we are spiritual beings. We do have souls. So yeah. Knowing that I may not be with my animal, this is kind of often sad to use my animal as an example, no. but knowing it won't look the same way or with my grandpa or my husband, it won't look the same way. I think that our energy lives on. Hopefully that answers your question. Oh yes, so thankful for your vulnerability. You are such an inspiration for these steps you have taken in your life to break away from you that you were told that you were. It takes a whole lot of guts for a human being to do that. So many people need to see that it's possible. And so you are an inspiration. So I'm proud of you and I can't wait to see you further transform. Friends and listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to this episode and listening to all of the culty conversation. <laughs> thank you to my awesome guest, Rachel Zimmerman, for being here and sharing her beautiful words. I hope you guys enjoyed. Catch you next time. 